turn your love of babies and bellies into cash. If you love babies and bellies and want to provide care and support to families, then Bebo Mia's webinar is the right place for you. Get answers to those burning questions like how to be the voice you wish you had at your birth and how babies and families can be supported by doulas. Learn all about the different kinds of doulas. You can work in fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, or just enjoy working with those squishy babies. Supporting families by becoming a birth worker, aka doula, is perhaps an option that hasn't even crossed your mind. And that's why we want you to join this webinar. You can have great earning potential while doing something you love. Bebo Mia is the one-stop shop for education, community, and mentorship. Reserve your spot today at bebomia.com slash free webinar. Hello, hello, you guys. This is our very first ever holiday edition. I decided that in the month of December, we are going to put out two episodes a week. So I'm so excited today to bring you the first one. And this is a dear friend of mine. Her name is Olga. And you guys, she is amazing. She's a powerhouse mom. That is for sure. She graduated from Harvard. She's been featured in Forbes magazine um, with 30 under 30, 40 under 40 with Cranes, New York. She has run an insanely uh, successful business. She raises three kids. She's an amazing wife, amazing person. So amazing. I'm so honored to have her here with us today. And she has a story to share with you that we have actually haven't heard for a long time. And it's going to be a breach be back. So I'm so excited to hear her story. But of course, we have a review of the week. So before we do that, I am going to review on our course, actually. And this is from Erin Stanton. And she says, I absolutely love this doula training course. I feel far more prepared on the unique needed the unique needed of the family planning of VBAC birth. Thank you so much for creating this resource for birth professionals and families. So thank you, Erin. And if you guys did not know, we have a course for both preparing parents that are wanting to know their options for birth after cesarean. And then we offer an education course for doulas and birth workers who want to learn more about the unique needs of a VBAC parent and a VBAC family. So unfortunately, we talk about this all the time that we are just people going in to have babies just like everybody else. But because we have that previous cesarean, unfortunately, we have this unique part where we are viewed a little bit differently in most of the medical world. So if you are wanting to dive in and learn more about your options for birth after cesarean or how to support your birthing clients, definitely check out the website at thevbacklink.com. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. I'm actually the person who took a class too. So yes, I, you did. And I, I love the course. And actually, I did it with my husband, uh, which was really helpful for him to feel more comfortable for the birth. So definitely highly recommended. I know you didn't ask my opinion, but I do I highly recommend the course. I love your opinion. And it is so important. I, you know, my husband personally, he didn't want to do any of the birthing courses with me. He wasn't super interested in it. He just didn't understand it way back when. And now he's like, oh, I, yeah, I totally get it. But it's so awesome to do with your significant other or your birthing partner because VBAC definitely has some things and some scare tactics and and, and just some interesting things that come along the way. And so if your partner can be as educated as you are, you're not feeling left like you have to defend your reason of why you do or don't want to do something. And so it's so great for you guys to be in the collaborative space. You guys know you're educated equally, and then you guys can support each other because they need support too. Totally. And your course is awesome because it was self-paced. So we actually broke it down into like 30 minutes. We did whenever our toddler was sleeping. And we did it on Saturdays together. And I think it brought us together and got him comfortable with the idea of VBAC because yeah. it has so much helpful statistics around, you know, just how safe it is. And, you know, I think, as you said, there's so many scare tactics. But when you see data on paper in front of you, I just it just helps ease that fear. Mm -hmm. um, so totally. highly recommend it. 
So sorry Thank to jump you. in. No, I love it. I love it. And why don't we just segue right into your amazing birth journeys? I mean, some you just have, I mean, I feel like in some like in ways, like I have like each birth, and it's probably with everyone really, we all have each unique birth stories. But um, I feel like all of your birth stories, they all have like even more unique spins. And so you have like very different things, and each one of them is more, you know, even more amazing. So let's turn the time over to you and share your stories. Thank you. It feels so, I'm just so privileged to be here because I uh, listened to every single podcast episode when I was preparing for my VBAC and I just feel like I know you so well. <laughs> um, so it's just such a, such an honor. So thank you so much for having me. To jump right in, I um, and to start the story where it really started, I had a miscarriage before my first birth and I just think that people who have gone through miscarriages, it's just such a difficult situation and it's such a difficult process. I, I do think that I was definitely depressed after. And I think having miscarriage before you have kids is so difficult too, because you're questioning, can my body even have a baby and, you know, all sorts mm -hmm. of things. And so when I got pregnant with my first baby girl who made me a mommy, who, you know, I wouldn't change anything for the world. She, you know, I, I really was scared. We did not take a single course because when I got pregnant with my miscarriage baby, I like bought all the books and I started planning in my mind mm -hmm. that I think as I got pregnant, I was just scared to jinx it. And I think I really didn't even admit it to myself that I'm pregnant yeah, or get attached to that baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Until I was, you know, probably 24 weeks. I remember reading, it was like hit 24 weeks and it's the baby survival rate was like 90% or something. And I was, I, I really took like a deep breath. Like, I feel like at that point, I was like, oh, my God, like I am having a baby, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and so I think a lot of things that, you know, I did differently with my preparing for my VBAC were complete opposite with my first birth. I, you know, trusted the provider right away. I sort of fell into this. I was living in New York City. I've lived in New York City for 15 years at the time. And uh, my OB had a practice in this, you know, in the floor above her that was delivering babies. And she's like, okay, that's where you go. And turned out the practice was pretty desirable. And, you know, I didn't know the questions to ask. And I just sort of, as you said early on, like trusted that, you know, we all delivered babies and that I will know what to do when, you know, when it all happened. Right. You know, we kind of looked at having a doula and we sort of thought it was this uh, boho thing to do. And we were, you know, two professionals in New York and we're like, whatever, we doc we know we have doctors, we were delivering at NYU. And so, you know, it was this sort of fear of losing the baby and not believing that we are pregnant and then trusting the system, trusting that they have the best interests in mind and that mm -hmm. everything will be done. And then the other thing I think is like, there's so much just pressure around you that it's like 40 weeks. Everybody's like, it's nine months. I've never even knew that people go past their due date ever. Like, I don't know, <laughs> like I'm a fairly educated person, you know, but I've never heard anything. And to be fair, I did not take any courses or anything with my first because I was yeah. just so scared of the jinxing of having a baby and that I literally was here. We are like about to go birth. I'm 40 weeks on the 40 weeks. I was just like, oh, my God, the baby's not here. And my <laughs> my husband has two sisters and they all delivered pretty early in the oh. So they were like, be prepared. So at 32 weeks, I wrote a transition plan in my office. Everybody was ready. And I'm like, here we are two months later and still no baby. <laughs> and um, the other thing is my daughter is named after my grandma, who is just the closest person on earth for me. She's no longer with us. And she was born on January 1st. And so and my due date, I think, was January 4th. And so I was like, sure, I would be birthing on January 1. And I think I mentally prepared myself. So when yeah. that didn't happen and then the due date came, there's no baby. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> and I gained quite a lot of weight because I felt like it was like a free pass to eat whatever I wanted. Oh, to. man. Right. Here. Oh, yeah. That's what happened with me. That's too. You, yeah. And also, I was in New York City. They were so scared of me falling on ice that they wouldn't mm -hmm. let me work out. I also had some sort of previous situations where I was sort of put on no working out starting second trimester and no sex. And so, and I I mean, there's nothing scary. I, I had two leap procedures. I had precancer cells early on. And so they cut those out. And so like 
they were worried that the cervix wouldn't hold the baby. So they're like, mm-hmm. don't work out. Don't do this. So I'm like, you know, I'm not naturally working out because I'm not walking because it's winter in New York City. I'm then, you know, going and like, you know, not doing anything. And so gaining weight and eating whatever I want. And and it's um, also did not know anything about baby positioning. So I'm like lying in the corner of my couch every night, basically <laughs> encouraging my baby to be OP, which we will talk about, I, I think, as I prepared for my mm-hmm. second birth. And so uh, I got sciatica or whatever it's called, actually. You sciatica? Uh-huh. Sciatica, yeah. Which is and miserable. I, well, so it was on my due date. I was actually at a museum with my husband and my mom because we were so amateur. My, we flew my mom in at 39 weeks to help us. And here we are, no baby. And we're like, what are we doing? <laughs> and both of us are working crazy hours. I was in the office the day before I delivered. So, you know, Gosh. sort of there was no mental preparation. It was sort of like this was happening to me and mm-hmm. I wasn't in control of the process whatsoever. And I was letting all these things happen to me. And so the doctor was like, oh, you should go take a bath. And so I went in t- and took a bath. And when I was in the bath, there was some sort of liquid that came out. And as pregnant women know, there's just stuff that happens to a body. So I didn't mm-hmm. think anything of it, except later on, I called him and I was like, hey, the leg didn't get better. I couldn't walk basically the last few days of my pregnancy. And I was like, the leg didn't get better, but like my underwear just keeps getting wet. And she's like, well, your water probably broke. And so you have to come to the hospital within 12 hours. And so mm-hmm. the 12 hours was supposed to be like 3 a.m. And I was like my, to my husband, like, let's just sleep more. There's, you know, and so at 6 a.m. we go to the hospital. They they test my underwear and they're like, oh, yeah, your water did break. They admit me to the hospital. And then the and there's no contractions, nothing. And then the woman, the another doctor comes in and she checks my water levels through an ultrasound. And she's like, oh, no, there's so much water. Your water didn't break. But now you're here, you're admitted, so you're going to stay and we will induce you. Uh, to be fair, they did give me an option of whether to be induced or not. But it mm-hmm. wasn't like when you're uneducated, like everything being positioned to you are very much like this is what you do next. Yeah. As opposed to like, here's the risks, here are the benefits. And so mm-hmm. because I was in so much pain, I couldn't really walk. And I was ready. You know, I felt so ready. Yeah. I and also mentally like my mother-in-law was there my mom was just like she was just sent her back it just like I felt like so much pressure on me to go deliver this baby as opposed to waiting for this natural moment Mm -hmm. of her being ready and also they were so worried about infection because they did think the water was breaking first and then they kind of feared put this fear in me so long story short they they start me on pitocin and i think they did a foley ball bulb in me that fell out and so at four centimeters i get an epidural and mm-hmm. again everything is positions like this is what you do and i was also very like natural during pregnancy i didn't drink coffee i was just so thoughtful about it that at that point i'm like give me all the drugs like i was so scared <laughs> of this birth yeah. you know yeah. um and we'll talk later like how my attitude sort of shifted for this experience but there i was like give me all the drugs so they put me in epidural I'm like rotating. I did. They were like sort of, oh, we'll see you in the morning. But I did dilate from six to 10 centimeters in an hour. And so they were like, Which I'm is like, amazing. That was awesome. But they were like, oh, I, I'm telling the nurse. I'm like, I have to go poop or like I have to push. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, that's not possible. So I had to a little bit advocate for myself for them to check me. And then they checked me and they're like, oh, my God. Yes, that's true. <sighs> And so they checked me, I'm 10 centimeters and here we go, time to push. And I pushed for three and a half hours and the baby was OP. They did break my water at four centimeters, which is probably why I dilated so fast. Nobody checked the baby positioning. She was really, really high up, OP. And I know all of this thanks to the course that I did with you, because after the course, I did request my uh, operating notes. Mm, and that's yeah. all the things that I was able to learn and um, in, in, the, um, in those operating notes. And I remember making that call was so scary after. But after three and a half hours, I was okay. My epidural didn't work. It stopped working mm-hmm. and I was feeling all the pain. And I will say that pitocin contractions are so brutal. Um, there's no break for a woman. Again, now that I've experienced the natural labor, it's just so... Different. It's very different. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. They're in a whole different ballpark. Like Absolutely. versus on on yeah like natural pitocin. Exactly. And so when I was there's three times in my labor that I truly thought I was gonna die. Actually, I had this out of body experience 
where I wanted to move. My body was screaming, move. And they wouldn't let you because I had an epidural and I was lying down and my body took over and I got on my four, my knees and my fours. And that sadly was already three hours into pushing, but I was still willing to push more. I was, you know, so committed and the doctor sort of positions like, no, I did ask her for 30 minutes more. Mm-hmm. And the baby would come down as I was pushing and then she would come back up because she was stuck. There was no lubricant. Yep. They broke my yep. water. And again, now knowing everything, I'm so glad whoever is listening to this episode, like everything I've learned and educated myself worth through the course and through listening to the podcasts. But here I am, really traumatic birth in a sense that they roll me into, you know, three and a half hours of pushing, 24 hours of labor. I'm exhausted. I develop a fever by that point, they get Mm -hmm. the baby out and I'm shaking. So, I mean, I literally want to cry just like flashing back to that experience. Yeah. And lying down there, like, you know, arms strapped, you know, and shaking profusely and the baby comes out. And of course you're happy to see a baby Mm -hmm. um, who isn't. And I, you know, they touch the cheek to cheek. They didn't even do skin to skin or anything like that. And the anesthesiologist is like, do you want me to knock you down? And I said, yes, because I was shaking so bad. I was shaking so bad. And I remember asking my husband to tell him why he loves me and how we met. And I, and he was just sitting there next to me, just like telling me the story of, you know, how we met and why he fell in love with me. Because I just want, you know, I just wanted to make it all sort of worth it. I don't know what what was going on through that, but him telling me that story is what kind of calm, started to calm me down. But I wanted to get knocked down. I was shaking. I was cold. I mean, the experience is not what I've later loved about delivering uh, vaginally. And I also felt like those things were done to me as mm-hmm. opposed to those, my body birthing my child you know mm-hmm. I um, remember a few days after I didn't even see my baby so they took her to NICU because uh, I had a fever they had put her under antibiotics she also had jaundice and you know everybody was like texting us like oh did you have the baby what's the baby's name and honestly didn't feel like I had the baby you still have the tummy you mm-hmm. just lying there you know and in New York I really hope nobody delivers but you like kind of like in inhumane conditions, you're like next to other people who maybe have their baby and you're like sharing a room. And it's crazy. It's, it's really crazy. And I, I just felt like I didn't know if I delivered the baby. I, I didn't know any of those things. And it was not a pleasant experience. And, you know, we sort of my girlfriends were asking me after and they're like, oh, you're going to have more kids. And at that point, I was like, no, I don't think I'm going to have any more kids. And, yeah. you know, it, it felt like my body failed me, which, you know, unfortunate to say, but in reality is I failed my body partially too, because I wasn't prepared to advocate for myself. But that was a really traumatic experience, traumatic for my husband, traumatic for me. And I, you know, part of it was not educated, not being educated, not knowing a lot and letting somebody else decide for what is right for me. But mm-hmm. I did have a beautiful baby girl. Uh, and, who and her name I is Lara. Her name is Lara. She's named after my grandma. And, you know, you know, her. she was born on January 7th. And it, it's, you know, she made me a mommy and I will forever be grateful to her for that. Um, When she was one, I got pregnant with my little Frankie and she was basically a COVID baby. So I decided that I'm going to step down. I had a really intense job. As I said, I worked right before I delivered my baby. I went back to work four days after. It definitely took me. Yeah, like literally on the day of C-section, I came home and, you know, I I, I had a call with investors and, and things like that. And a lot of it was self-imposed. Like, I think it did take me a minute to figure out that I'm a parent and that, you know, things have changed, you know, and I, you know, I'm a very driven person as, as many uh, people are. And I, um, yeah, I just felt like a little bit disconnected in that moment from my Mm -hmm. body and my birth and realizing all that stuff. And so I went back to work. I had the most amazing nanny who helped me and my mom was there. So I I felt very supported, but my C-section recovery was brutal. I had to sleep sitting up like I couldn't lie down I don't know now why that was I was on all these drugs like I you know I just was in so much pain and 
again, it's like, I don't wish C-section on anybody. I do think it saves lives. And I think there is a place for it. Absolutely. And I think it's the mm-hmm. most amazing invention, but I don't think it should be as widely used as it is today on, yeah. on just anybody, you know, when you get bored. And I later learned that my doctor was like about to change shift and she just was ready for me to, mm. to get this going, you know? And so yeah. I love when you guys talk about like failure to progress is failure to wait. I mean, obviously mine wasn't about failure to progress, but it is partially failure to wait, you yeah. know, and also not letting my body move around and get this baby in the position that my body needed to be in, you know? Yeah. And so fast forward here, I was, I decided that I was tra- going to travel. I was going to take a year off. I worked really crazy, no vacations for many years. And then I decided to take a year off and travel. And of course you plan and, and the life happens, <laughs> COVID happens. I got yeah. pregnant and I was going to travel with my one uh, little girl. But I, I definitely wanted my, my kids to be close at age. And we got pregnant and we found out it's a little girl. COVID pregnancy is definitely a challenge. And I think you widely covered it. You know, husband couldn't go there. And, you know, you don't have support. Yeah. You don't have as much self-care. I think it's different today. But we were really early in COVID. And at the time, I lived in New York City. And it was very, very scary to be there. And so we moved in literally the four days. My girlfriend who lived in New York City, she, uh, who lived in LA, was like, Stayed in my house. We are going up to San Francisco because my parents need to ch- help with childcare. And so we moved in four days. I love it. <laughs> we told the movers, just go towards the LA. We're going to find an apartment. And it was an incredible decision for us because in COVID, I was able to be active and the weather was nice. My toddler could, you know, run around and explore. Mm-hmm. And that was a really wonderful decision. I ended up working through COVID because the situation was so volatile that my board sort of asked me to stay. And I did end up stepping down a month before my baby was born. Uh, but even though I was working, I was sort of like the, my husband always laughs, like a type A student. I took me back as, you know, something that I was gonna, you know, really learn a lot mm-hmm. about and feel very prepared. I took the class with you. I got a doula who also was a VBAC mama. I know you guys have a directory of VBAC uh, mm-hmm. trained doulas. And I think that's so, so important. And so my doula was incredible. I started preparing mentally and physically. I, you know, read a lot about spinning babies and really getting baby into the optimal position. I walked for three miles. I ran for as long as I could. And then I walked for three miles at the end. Uh, It was sort of a ritual that my, my husband and I did my, we would put our toddler to bed and we would just walk around, you know, our Mm -hmm. house And it was our moment for each other, but also to bring us together and talk about the VBAC and talk about sort of us preparing. And so, you know, those months preparing for the VBAC were what I should have done probably, you know, is my first, but you live and you learn. And I'm so grateful that I've had all, all of these experiences and I stayed active. I learned a lot. I listened to the podcast. I took the course. The podcast, every time I would go to either chiropractor or my doctor, I would just listen to an episode. Mm-hmm. And one advice that I have, and I know we haven't talked about giving advice to people, but I would save my favorite episodes. So at the end, my last yes. months, I only stayed in positive space. I only listened to the episodes that I saved. So there was an episode that you guys had woman from Atlanta who also had a breech birth because by that time I already knew that I was having breech and she had it out of Atlanta. She's like a wife of a football maybe guy. Uh I don't remember her name, but that episode I re-listened. I probably listened to it like 10 to 20 times in the last month just to channel like that positivity with my third baby, which we'll talk about in a second. I also had a few episodes that were like sort of relevant to me. And I just felt mm-hmm. like re-listening to them all the time was a really helpful thing for me, at least. And that's my advice. Yeah. It's like save your favorites so that you can easily, you know, channel them and listen to them. Love um, that. And I also would send to my husband the episodes that I wanted him to hear. I mean, you know, very curated. I would be like, listen to this girl. Like she pushed for a long time too or yeah. whatever so that he's comfortable, but he also knew sort of what to do and how to get comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, sort of by that end of August, my baby was born end of September. By that end of August, I stepped down from my job. And again, I feel very privileged that I was able to do that. I know a lot of people have to work till the last moment. Uh, But even if you have to work till the last moment, I think 
carving out space for yourself and your baby and connecting with them. It's so, so valuable, you know, whether it's when your toddler is napping or, you know, when your husband comes home, even if it's like that three mile walk around the neighborhood. I just think that we expect our bodies and ourselves to just like go with this birth. Like, no, it's like Mm -hmm. a big thing in our lives. Like, let's give it the attention that it deserves. And so I really, you know, eliminated anything that the last month was just so spiritual for me. And really, like, I think surrender is like the word that I wrote above my bed. And by the way, anytime I would have like things that you guys would say, or I learned like eat before you, like I would write in big letters and like put this flashcards Aww. next to my bed so that I, I remind that. myself, like, I think I still have it. And so I just always, and by the way, eat before you go to the hospital. It was my big one. <laughs> yes. And the couple of things I know some people consider like home birth for me, hospital was a no brainer. Like I actually, even though I had this traumatic birth, luckily I was now in a different city. So the hospital was Mm -hmm. different. I didn't have those negative association with this hospital, but for me, hospitals actually make me feel safe because I feel like if I need help, there's care just seconds away, Mm -hmm. um, which we will talk about it kind of how that played into my birth as it unfolded later on. But sort of we never even contemplated the idea of a hospital birth. But as I moved to LA, as I said, I was staying with at my friend's house and I ping her about who her OB was. The one thing that was really, really important to me was uh, having the same person who sees me deliver the baby. Yeah. And so that I really knew was important to me because the first practice was rotating practice. And I kind of felt lost in this, you know, thing because I would see different providers at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt like there was no consistency of advice or thoughts. It was just sort of like everybody would give you these different things. And so even before I found my amazing provider that who I ended up with, even before that, the few places that I called, I was always asking and I, I did decide not to go with a few practices because they were on a rotating schedule. Mm -hmm. And so the woman I found who was absolutely lovely, and I think was probably be back friendly as opposed to be back supportive. She, um, at least she positioned her, she wanted to position herself as a be back supportive, but I could tell that she was more of a be back friendly side, but she was delivering all her patients. And, um, that was important to me. And so when I, my baby consistently was showing up breach, I was, I think 30 weeks And I was like, well, I know you keep saying that it's still okay. The baby might turn. But if the baby continues to be breached, do we like, can I still have a VBAC? And at that point, she said, no, it's hospital policy. Mind you, I delivered breach VBAC at that same hospital. She said, it's hospital policy to do breach VRC section. And so I said, well, thank you. And through your podcast, I already listened to women who delivered breach vaginally. And so I started looking for a provider. And my, I see Dr. Berlin, who I think you've had on a podcast for chiropractic care. Um, so amazing. So amazing. I love him so much. And so when I found him through my doula, I was like, Dr. Berlin, she continues to be bridge. She's like, oh, then you see Dr. Brock. I was like, what? (laughs) Do you see Dr. Brock? Who's Dr. Brock? And then I went and listened to his uh, podcast. He has a podcast as well called Informed Pregnancy with Dr. Brock. And as I was driving home, and I listened to a breach, we breach, we back, I think breach birth with Dr. Brock. I just loved him. He was totally like straight shooter, just like me. And I was like, this is going to be my doctor. And then making that phone call to him and be like, will you take me? I'm 34 weeks, you know, was yeah. really scary. And he's like, absolutely. And it was so empowering. And I, I saw him and he's just amazing. And so I switched my care at 34, maybe I was 35 weeks to Dr. Brock in New York, in LA, sorry, he delivers at Cedars. And again, that other doctor was saying it's a hospital policy not to do breach. Guess what? Dr. Brock delivered the same hospital, a breach VBAC. And so when baby continues to be breached, I think at 36, he does an ultrasound to confirm the position. And he's honestly was like the most informed decision. He said, you have three options. You can have a C-section if you want, and here's the risks. You can have an ECV and try to turn the baby, mm-hmm. and you can just not have an ECV and you can have a breach feedback. And so I guess the four options is like you can have ECV and still decide to do C-section. Right. You don't have to do ECV and you know you can have C-section have or you can exactly or you can have vaginal birth. 
So I wanted to uh, try to turn the baby. I had a ECV. Dr. Uh, Brock has a pretty high like chance of turning at ECV. I also did acupuncture, uh, maxibotion, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, like I did it all. I had Dr. Uh, Berlin, who is known to turn babies, do all his magic. I did spinning babies. I did the ice over my belly. Uh, she's stubborn. She was stubborn in my tummy. Yeah. She's so stubborn still. And she was really wedged down in my uh, pelvis. She was really low, really early in my pregnancy. So she was like not moving. Yeah, she was not going <laughs> to change. And, you know, she wanted her own story. And I will say that women who have bridge babies, like just have to remind themselves, bridge is a variation of normal. Like that saying, I just kept almost like a mantra, like breach is a variation of normal, breach is a variation of normal. And just reminding myself that this is just a variation of normal, you know, yeah. that's okay to have a breach, babe. Of course, I was nervous, you know, right. I think it yeah. adds complications. And Dr. Brock was terrific at explaining all the risks. The bottom line is the risks of breach are very different than the risks of VBAC. And they don't add up. They like they're just different. It's not like the breach feedback is scarier or more difficult. It's that you know they just each have their own fears, and so we've decided to do breach feedback. And Dr. Brock is super expert in that, and we felt really supported. It did change a few things, so I really wanted an unmedicated feedback because mm. my epidural failed with my first. And I also never wanted Pitocin and I just wanted to move around. There's something I learned, which is a walking epidural, which I actually did not use, but I, I, my hospital Cedars offer. And for anybody listening, they should learn about walking epidural. It sounds like a way better option than just the regular epidural, but everybody have their own choice, obviously. And the walking epidural allows you to move around. Uh, that's my yeah, It's, it's a lighter dose. It's technically a lighter dose dose so it may like like what you were saying like you were fighting the urge to like move with your first one and you just your body just took over and you went hands and knees like with a walking epidural you're it's lighter you're able to feel a little bit more but still not feel everything mm-hmm. does that make sense so yeah. Yeah. yeah and so my um sort of I was so scared about the positioning and everything as well so I wanted to move I wanted an medicated VBAC but as we learned that she was breech my doctor's rules were you had to get an epidural for the delivery stage, which I also didn't know that pushing and delivery are two different stages. So mm-hmm. for him, you can push without epidural, but as it came time to deliver the baby, there was a chance in breach that he had to maneuver the baby and he needed the mother to stay completely still, obviously, because my understanding that with breach, the biggest risk is that if the butt comes out and it's so big that it blocks the cord and there's mm-hmm. no air coming into the baby's head, right? So he, at that moment, had to maneuver and deliver the baby right away fully and he could not have the mother move around. And that's obviously worst case scenario. And, and that's why you want to have mm-hmm. a provider who is obviously very experienced. So I knew that I will have an epidural. So I get to the hospital. So long story short, here we are. I'm mentally prepared. I have my amazing provider. I've studied with you guys. I listen to all the podcasts and it's Friday. I'll like never forget. My husband is, he's like, I'm going to go golf. Are you okay with that? I'm 39 mm-hmm. plus two days. And as a reminder, my first baby was late. So I was yeah. like, fine. You know, oh, actually after the ECV, I do have to say he did check me and I was at 37 and a half weeks. I was four centimeters dilated. Okay, All, so your already. body was doing some prep. Yeah, so I was already four centimeters dilated. But my doctor told me, and I think I was like 50%, maybe 80% effaced. And he was saying to me, well, guess what? With the second baby, you can go for weeks like that. So it's that so was a true. good reminder, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, no, don't freak out. But I still put everybody on alert, you know. Yeah. And then the other thing I did the last month is like, I really stopped talking to anybody negative even close people in my life. Mm-hmm. So I do recommend like sort of creating and being your own advocate. Like, what do you need? Like I needed a positive space, a yes. healthy, happy. I did not listen to any podcast that I didn't pre-approve in my prep before. I was just sort of in this like happy, protective space. You know, yes. I wasn't reading the news. Like I really kind of isolated myself in this, in this happy things. And 
hang out with my toddler. And, you know, as I said, I stepped down from work and like really had the space to prepare. I got my own gown for the hospital. I got my own socks for the hospital. I got an IV band that said, I can do this um, to remind myself and really cover because I didn't want to get an IV, but they, my hospital still required me to get, um, especially with VBAC. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I wanted to cover that because I, again, I wanted to be in this like special uh, mental space. And so my husband is like, oh, I'm going to go golf. I'm like, no problem. Like, you know, it's a Friday, go golf. And I wasn't, I was kind of feeling yucky. And like, I Mm, texted my girlfriend. Yeah. And I, but I didn't take it as a sign at all. I was like, because I didn't feel great with my first baby at the end so I figured it's just like sort of I'm getting so late in the pregnancy and so I remember texting my girlfriend I'm like do you remember feeling yucky at the end and she's like I really don't I'm like I'm feeling so kind of yucky today and then I you know I had like a work call I took the call and as I'm like starting to sort of like have this leakage in my underwear and I like texted my doula and she's like, well, just put a pad on it. Sorry, TMI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but I'm like, okay, I put a pad in it, which I wouldn't have even thought. Like I love, I am such a big advocate for doulas. My doula, Elizabeth from, I think it's like Luma birth now, but used to be grace and gratitude. She is just so incredible. And so I basically went in and put the pad in and it like kept sort of soaking, but super slow. And from the listening to your guys' podcast and from all the studies, you always say like, you know, if water breaks, if you're staying in your own environment with your own bacteria, mm-hmm. there's really not high risk of infection. Just like don't go outside. And so I was like, okay, I'll stay home even if the water broke. And then literally I'm in the middle of this work on work call and it dawns on me. Oh my God, what if it's different with breach? <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, freak out. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I have to call it back hang up the phone call my doctor I'm like Dr. Brock there's a small chance my water broke like it's like leaking it's not like I didn't have a gush or anything like that yeah Yeah. and so I'm like oh my god do I come see you it's still Friday he's like okay here's the thing if your water broke I'll see you in the 12 to 24 hours because your Mm -hmm. contractions are gonna start Mm -hmm. and if your water didn't break I'll see you Monday for our scheduled appointment and you know, like this is incredible. This he's so professional. He's done millions of births. He delivers breach back, and to hear that reassurance from him, he was yes. so calm and collected. This just again reminds to everybody, and hope reminds to everybody who is listening. Like, if your water breaks, don't worry. Until contractions start, that's the nothing else matters. Your water breaking mm-hmm. doesn't mean your labor began, at least in my opinion. Or it doesn't mean you're going to have a baby at home necessarily either, right? Like no. you have to have contractions. Exactly. Push a baby out. You have to be. So it's so hard. And like, I was going to remind people, like if your heart and your mind, like your whole soul, your intuition is saying you need to go somewhere else, follow it. Yeah. But if not, like you're typically pretty safe, just hanging out and waiting for labor to begin. Totally. And that was so helpful for me that he reassured me. And now looking back, I do think my daughter's water broke partially, but it was just leaking. And I just was rushed to the hospital, like when I did. So, you know, it probably would have like leaked over time. But Mm -hmm. so that's what's happening. So all day I was kind of feeling yucky. I wasn't having any contractions, at least the ones that I would feel. Mm -hmm. And again, I've never felt natural contraction. So I wouldn't even know what it was feeling like. Right. And so the, you know, it was all happening. I did have mucus plug, like losing sort of weeks before for four weeks or whatnot, you know? And so here I am, I am, you know, I ordered Domino's, I had Pingree. I was just like, sort of like in this environment. And you know, my daughter who was at the time, 20 months, she knew she was holding my baby the whole day. Mm -hmm. And we just had, yeah, yeah. She was, I mean, looking back at the pictures from the day, it was like, one of the sweetest days of my life to be honest we just like hang out at home held each other watched shows which we almost never watched tv so it was it was a really special day and then my husband came home and I was like oh you know what I'm tired I'm just gonna go resting and at 1 a.m I woke up to the bathroom which as anybody in the third trimester know we go to the bathroom a lot at the end (sighs) I go in there and I'm on the potty and I sit there and I like almost felt like she just kicked me Uh And it was this like 
contract. I mean, it was like, now I know it was like such a strong contraction, but then I like moved around literally on the bathroom and it felt great for me to sit on the bathroom always like mm -hmm. through the whole third trimester. So I did spend a lot of time just like hanging out in the, in the toilet. So mm -hmm. I was sitting there and like, I can't kind of like reposition myself and I like got up and then I just lie down and to go back to bed, didn't think anything of it. And boom, I get another one. And it was like, when people say when contraction starts, you know, you know, like you absolutely know, you know, yeah. <laughs> On the second contraction, I become my husband. I'm like, this is a real deal. And to be fair, for a week before I did have some Braxton Hicks, which I didn't really have as my first. And I was ca calling my doula and I'm like, I'm having contractions and we are walking around. I was like, She's like, okay, how long are they lasting? I'm like, well, I don't know. They fizzle out. She's like, well, that's not a real contraction then. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's so, help so helpful to have a doula because you can ask all these questions yes. that are, you know, yes. maybe yes. feel silly, but they're not, right? We want to so, help you avoid from going in if you don't need to go in totally. and like having to call a doctor to get a question. Like, totally. the, you know, it just helps. Yeah, totally. And so... Here I woke up my husband. I'm like, I know it's real. We call my doula. She's like, Well, stay at home as long as you want. You know, as long as long as you know. She's like, I'm gonna start sort of getting ready. Um, mm -hmm. so this is 1 a.m. Uh, so that Friday morning, so call my water breaking at 9 a.m. and leaking. This is 1 a.m. Um Saturday. the next Saturday morning. And I wake him up and my doula is like, listen, let your husband sleep mm -hmm. so that, you know, he can get stressed. And if you can sleep, sleep as well. But I was like, I'm not going to be able to sleep. I am calling my girlfriend who's on call to take my baby. She's not picking up the phone, which I'll tell you a funny story. But I'm like, okay, let's, you know, let's keep, keep going here. And mm -hmm. so I, um, um, he's went to bed in the living room. And about 20 minutes in, I wake him up. I'm like, we have to go to the hospital. But I guess it's not 20 minutes late. It's like probably 4 a.m. And so yeah. we, I just knew at that time that it's like, this is like starting is to get real. Start, yeah. And I do have to say like, you know, this birth to me was so spiritual. I, um, during my wedding, I honored my grandma. As I already mentioned, I honored my grandma during the naming of my first baby. But I was not sort of thinking about my grandma during this birth and during my prep. I she was there. Like, I just know, like it was so mm -hmm. spiritual, this birth. I was preparing by wooing, like, you know, I read in a maze guide to childbirth, which mm -hmm. I love that book. And I was practicing to moo. I was practicing to, to do all these things. I was singing like my grandma would. And so mm -hmm. out of nowhere, my singing, and I'm not good. Let <laughs> me preempt it. I'm not a singer or anything like that. Like that was such a feeling from within. And then I found, uh, during my wedding, I made this kind of reference to her, uh, like a bracelet. And I found the bracelet and I held it in. And mm -hmm. I just have to say my my baby's birth was so, so spiritual in so many ways. It was one of the most incredible things that ever happened to me. I was in another world. I was yeah. truly in another world. And I, I see sometimes people post on Facebook and ask, you know, how can our body survive? Is that a patrol and all these things like you're not in this world. You're in this. You're bringing life into this world. This is mm -hmm. incredible. And our bodies can do this because it's not pitocin contractions. It's right. really your body that creates. And so I was singing through my contractions. I picked up my baby and she was holding me tight and I was having contractions. I was holding her. And, you know, I wasn't even... It, it just was like such a magical moment mm -hmm. to be bringing another baby and I was talking to her and I was telling her how we are working as a team oh. and I had to drop off my daughter. Luckily, my girlfriend gave me the code to her house. Otherwise, they both had their phones off, her husband oh, and her. No. I'm literally walking into their bedroom. It's like five in the morning. I'm like, here's my baby. Please. <laughs> like, I gotta go. <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah. They were like five minutes from the hospital. Oh my gosh. So we get to the hospital. It's six in the morning. They check me. I'm six centimeters dilated, 100% effaced. And she checks me and they admit it, I guess, admit me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, they then say like, okay, you admit it, go into this, like uh, from the triage, my doula joins me. And I really didn't love the nurse. And my doula is like, mm -hmm. don't worry, they'll, sh they change shift at seven, 645. I'm like, I have to push. And I'm so grateful my doula was there because she advocated for me. And again, like I was so educated. I thought you could advocate for yourself. No, you cannot. You're in a different it's world. It's really hard. 
it's really hard. So I'm like, I'm like Elizabeth, I have to push. I'm on my knees singing through it. And she's like, you have to check her. They're like, no, it's not possible. So the lady mm-hmm. comes in, checks me and she's like, it's not possible. Her water is intact. And the other, then the physician assistant comes in that works for my doctor. And she's like, that's not a water. It's her it's butt. Bum. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. So I guess it feels the same to them. And squishy. the water did break. The, there was no water at that point. It was squishy. Yeah. yeah. The crazy thing is, here we are. I'm like ready to push. We need to put epidural in. My doctor is like away because he didn't realize that I will progress so fast. So mm-hmm. everybody's waiting for him. Everybody's freaking out. I don't know anything because I'm in yeah. this different world. But my husband told me that like everybody's freaking out. There's a hundred doctors in there. Breach me back. <laughs> What is going to see on? it. Yeah. <laughs> and so until my doctor got there, like my husband always talks about how like once he got there, like the atmosphere was just like, okay, everything is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing that you can ask your doctor, is he going to be there for the yeah. whole pushing stage? My doctor, Brock, was there for an hour and a half while I was pushing. And mm-hmm. he held my hand and he talked to me and it was just so incredible. And I did have an epidural. So yeah. I dilated to 10 without an epidural then got an epidural and then pushed for an hour and a half. And I had the most beautiful, amazing baby girl. We named her Frankie because she was Frank Breach. I love it. And we were so interested to know, is Frank like the name of the guy who invented Frank Breach? We weren't sure. We later found out that Frank Breach just means stubborn breach. Oh, so Frank Breach is like stubborn breach. That. And so she's so stubborn. She picked her own name. It was already sort of, part of our list of names and so that was the sort of breach v-back story so then when my little stubborn babe oh the one thing I do want to kind of mention here is this breach if your baby is breached for a long time even if they change head down make sure you have them checked for hip dysplasia Mm -hmm. I do think a lot of people don't know and I didn't know about this at all it's completely normal my baby had hip dysplasia because she was breached basically the whole birth or the mm-hmm. whole, sorry, not birth, pregnancy, the whole pregnancy. And this yeah. is really important because I think a lot of people confuse. They think that if he had, they had a C-section, they would, their babies wouldn't have hip dysplasia, but that's mm-hmm. not the case. It's how the baby is inside of you. Their hips yep. just don't develop. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, my baby was then placed in a public harness and that harness imitates what a head down baby does inside your body and the hip develops normally. And, most times it resolves on its own. You still mm-hmm. have to follow up. But my recommendation is like just make sure that you have them checked for it because I'm on all these Facebook groups with people who yeah. didn't get checked and then they unfortunately have much complicated time fixing it when they're a little bit yeah. later. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely an adjustment, you know, and, and journey uh, on its own. And when my little baby was eight months, we got surprised pregnant with our little gift, baby boy. And we always wanted three kids. So he just had his, his own surprise timing. Mm-hmm. And we did try pretty uh, hard with our first two girls. I mean, we were, you know, we didn't use IVF or any of the other procedures, but still yeah. it took us a while to get pregnant. And so it was definitely a surprise to be pregnant honor sort of as a surprise Mm -hmm. Um, and he is such a miracle I had a very difficult first trimester and now thinking Mm -hmm. back about it it could have been that he is a boy I don't know if there's a gender sort of stereotypes in pregnancy but I had a lot of bleeding I really thought I lost him a few times and one of the times was like so much blood I I still cannot believe that he's Mm -hmm. sort of survived like such a miracle little baby I just cannot be happier with, I cannot be happier just having mm-hmm. him. He's, he's my light. He's nine months actually. So nine months in, nine months out. Crazy. And yeah, he was, and I had an unmedicated birth with him. I think one of the reasons he wanted to be born so fast is because I think he was scared that Dr. Brock would retire. So <laughs> I, I knew that I had to have uh, that birth. And so I got pregnant. Again, I was very, really active. I obviously had two little kids um, mm-hmm. who still really needed me. I did walk three miles. Um, this was much harder in a sense that there's so many, there's two kids that need you that are so young. But yeah. my husband and I both worked as a team. 
we made sure that, you know, I had the space to, again, you have to advocate for yourself. And I talked to my husband and I said, like, I need this time to walk because that's how I feel like I'm preparing for this birth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we hired a doula again. And one thing that I would say is like this time my doula had to be gone at 41 weeks. She had a scheduled mm-hmm. vacation. And so I found a backup doula with her help that they partnered together so that if I would go past 41 weeks, which in my book is like a little bit more complicated birth because the baby will be bigger naturally, you know, so I wanted to make sure that I didn't feel rushed. You have Mm -hmm. to be so thoughtful about ensuring what you need for a good birth, set yourself up for success. And so I didn't want to have any pressures. And so I had two amazing doulas this time. One of them was at my first birth. And and at the same moment, Elizabeth ended up to be at this birth too. And I was doing all the same things, chiropractic care, acupuncture, uh, listening to all the podcasts again, because this time it wasn't a breech baby. He yeah. was continuing to be head down and I wanted to have an unmedicated birth. The book that I read both times was In a Maze Guide to Childbirth. <laughs> And this time, what really stuck out to me was, I don't know if you remember this chapter where she was uh, developing this mantra of, I'm going to be big. Mm-hmm. And essentially what she was talking about is that you can channel your vagina to open up wider to let your baby out so that you don't have any tears. And I didn't have tears with either of my birth. And I would do say that my doctor told me that that's kind of on him. I said to him, Dr. Brock, what can I do to prepare and not have birth, like to have um, uh, uh, tears? And he said, it's mm-hmm. all on me. We have to go nice and slow, nice and slow. And so it was so helpful for me to just channel that mantra. And I did use that during my purse with my son. I want, I'm going to be big. And it also did take my mind off, you know, the ring on fire of all those things that people talk mm-hmm. about that could yeah. sound scary. I wasn't thinking about that because I was chan- chanting almost like, I'm going to be big. I'm going to be big. And so long story short, at my 39 weeks appointment, leading up to it again, I was four centimeters dilated. Um, yeah. And I guess that's how, you know, my body processes it. Yep. And we were talking about doing a membrane, membrane sweep at 40 weeks. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, sort of contemplating whether I wanted to do it or not. I really wanted kind of non, no interventions birth. And I decided that at 40 weeks, I'll do it. But I was going to my 39 appointment, 39 week appointment. And because I was already four centimeters dilated, I was a little bit nervous because we lived an hour and a half from the hospital because now Mm -hmm. we have moved further out. I was a little bit nervous to be driving. So my husband and also we don't have family living nearby and my girlfriend could not really take two more kids on who are so young. Uh, we got a sibling doula. And so our sort of goal with a sibling doula was anytime I had my appointments, she would come and cover the kids at an extra cost, but so that she could get to know them. Mm -hmm. And so my sibling doula, who was amazing, she was with my kids. And so I said to my husband, do you mind driving me? You can take calls while, you know, I'm in my appointments. So he drove me uh, to the hospital and just in case we took our bags kind of everywhere, mm-hmm. except, and then that's a tip that I actually want to write down to tell people, but except my cholesterol, which I'll address in a second. So we took the bags with us and I had my acupuncture in the morning and then I had my chiropractor appointment. So I'm like super aligned, go to my uh, OB appointment and I'm 39 plus three or plus two, maybe. And he's like, um, well, you're in labor. You're six centimeters dilated. Go to the hospital right now. And he's mm-hmm. like, I'm then going to break your water. And to me, that was such a trigger words. Like I didn't because I yeah. felt like my baby got stuck the first time. Yeah. And I listened to an episode that you had earlier on at some point. And you said you sort of had a side note around like never let anybody break your water until they check the baby positioning. Yeah, so it's a check mark that you have to like check like where are we feeling? What what is this position? Where are we at? Like, I mean, if it happens spontaneously, it happens spontaneously, which is totally. it did for then you, you can control. Right, yeah. you did for you the second time, but like kind of the first time is maybe like a four bag, you know, exactly. like, and then they broke your big your, your main back. But it is it's so important to. Yeah. Pull it and wait. Totally. And I think something you said, it's like, it's like a lubricant for your body. So you need that liquid to be able to have the baby get into the best position. 
possible. And so I was really not into the idea of breaking the water. I walked around, I called my doula, uh, you know, he just said, go to the hospital, I'll call them. And yeah. I did take about an hour to decide to go to the hospital. You know, I didn't, even though like this doctor who already delivered my baby, I just still wanted to check in with myself if I was comfortable. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, here's what I arrived at. And it's not the right decision for everybody. But for me, it was the right decision to go to the hospital because my other two babies, which was my biggest fear, I actually did a fear release as well two days before with the technique that you guys shared on the YouTube. There is a YouTube mm -hmm. video. And my biggest fear was not taking care of my other girls because they were so young. And yeah. my fear was I go in, a, you know, I had like a whole tree of neighbors who were going to come in until the sibling doula comes in and all those things. And Dr. Brock did say, he's like, your baby is minus one and she already six centimeters position. And he's like, I'm not going to make it to the hospital. And I was like, what if I get a hotel room across the street? He's like, you are not going to make it to the hospital. He's like, the baby is low. And so I sort of, you know, decided that for me, for my well-being of being in the right mental space, this is the right time because my babies are taking care of, of with the sibling doula right there. And so we went to the hospital and he took his time to come in too, which I loved. He gave my body natural time to progress. I requested a pump right away. I was walking. I was bouncing on the ball. I was pumping, trying to get the labor started naturally because there was no contraction still which was yeah. really frustrating to me, you know, because again, I wanted no interventions. Yeah. And so here we are, he comes in and he's like, I'm like, Dr. Brock, give me the answers to two questions. Number one is what's the baby positioning? He checks mm -hmm. it. It was like LOI. It was like the most perfect LOI. Uh -huh. you know, position. Mm -hmm. And number two, I said, if you break my water and my labor doesn't start, because remember, with my second, when the water broke, it took almost 24 hours to labor. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I do not want to feel rushed. I also want to have the chance to leave the hospital if I want to go home and labor at home. And he said, I guarantee you. And I already knew his word is right because he delivered my other baby. Mm -hmm. So he's like, I guarantee that you can leave the hospital. I can guarantee you that there's no interventions that, you know, we will implement because I also did not want Pitocin at all. Yeah. So he breaks my water. I let him break my water and literally things start within a second. Mm -hmm. I think he broke my water like in an hour and a half later, my baby was there. And so mm -hmm. right away, maybe like, you know, 20 minutes later, I was like, I have to poop. And he was there. He's like, do not let her go to the bathroom. <laughs> and so he's like, checks me. And I was already eight at that time. So it went pretty fast from six to eight to 10 again. Mm -hmm. My doula was on the way. And so this time my husband and I, we were just such a team. I feel like the first time we were both so scared and we just didn't know and didn't feel yet like sort of comfortable. This time we were swaying together. And I just feel like so appreciative of the moment we shared, just two of us. And then he, the, my doctor comes in and he's like, okay, it's time to bring this baby to the world. Get on your back. I'm like, no, can I please have a few more contractions sitting, like standing up? And he's like, eventually you'll have to get in bed. And I was, you know, I was like, okay, visit because I trust my doctor, but I was disappointed for sure. I probably would have loved to be standing, but once I got in bed and lay down, I actually did feel better. Like I did enjoy delivering in that position, but I, I till the last second. Yeah. Um, and then I lie down and in about four pushes and I kept saying to myself, I'm going to be huge. And I did want to make a joke to my doctor. I'm like, is this too late for an epidural? Uh, but, you know, I didn't say it because you kind of in a different world, you almost like, in your own little world. I delivered my baby boy without any medication. And I have to say the recovery, even like with epidural for pushing, like the recovery with unmedicated birth is the most surreal play thing on the planet. And with breach, so many people ran into it right away to check her. Mm -hmm. Because one thing that people may not know about breach is when the baby's coming down, there's always the poop, the meconium from the baby. Yeah. So like my doctor was like, like was telling the nurses like this is normal like you don't need to freak out because i think this head down baby they're worried about meconium being in the water this mm -hmm. breech baby it's always in because they're pushing on the stomach and as the butt comes out mm -hmm. and so here they left us alone for two hours i was telling dr brock i'm like how big is the baby he's like well you can't have it all he's like we haven't even weighted him like he's like i don't know how big he is 
It ended up being eight pounds, two ounces, which they did for two hours. Nobody bothered us. We were just like in this peaceful moment with my husband and I. And like, it sort of came full circle from like all the interventions and everybody there and not having a moment to ourselves to like just being there by ourselves, the three of us and having this most incredible, peaceful experience as it was really something. And I, I really wish to everybody to experience that you know the recovery again I was ready to go hiking that afternoon it was like so different and I think I did push myself a little too much uh right away primarily because I have two little young kids um but it's good to also let yourself recover but it was so 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 special um to to have this and one sorry last thing that I will say is breastfeeding was really important to me and so and I had challenges in the past. And so I had an amazing lactation consultant uh, who I saw at 37 weeks. I also took some breastfeeding mm-hmm. classes, but she told me about expressing colostrum starting mm-hmm. early on. And after 37 weeks, it's safe because it, like baby is sort of technically full term. And I bought this colostrum that I froze. And so starting 37 weeks. And the other thing is the lactation consultant didn't say this, but we know that nipple stimulation is like a good thing to and mm. I kind of think an I was, it's an inducer exactly so every day and I would say it was amazing for my older kids to see me sort of uh, do things with my breast without the baby there so they weren't mm-hmm. hating on the baby for taking my attention away I would just sit there in the playroom with them while they would play and I would say to them oh this is how mommy will feed the baby and I would express colostrum and I froze so much colostrum I mean every day I honestly wish I would I did more of it because as you sort of deliver this baby like there's not yet milk you can take that day to like recover and sleep if your Mm -hmm. partner is there uh, my my baby had jaundice so we had to have her uh, have him under lights so like the nurses would take him but I was able to give him colostrum and with jaundice it's very important that they're eating a lot Mm -hmm. I didn't have to give him any formula because awesome. they had so much colostrum and I just highly, highly, highly recommended to, and my sister was able to go back. As I said, we didn't take it with us. Uh, yeah. She and her boyfriend went back and brought it to the hospital frozen and check obviously with your hospital, what the policy is ours, a lot uh, Cedar's allowed uh, for you to bring it. Yeah. And yeah. it was so great because it allowed my body to rest for the first 24 hours, my baby to get a lot of colostrum and I didn't have the pressure of like immediately breastfeeding or all of those things because I had it frozen. And my, I think the body, stimu- the breast stimulation actually helped my body dilate, you know, to six mm-hmm. centimeters by the time of 39 uh, weeks, which I think was obviously awesome. Yeah. I love that's that. it. That's my story. Yeah. And I have three amazing kids and they're, they make me a person I am. And I'm just so grateful to them for choosing me to be their mommy. <sighs> Being a mom, it really is amazing. And I I love that all of your stories, like you have like cesarean, medicated breach, unmedicated, and like each one just morphed you into this person and this parent that you are today. So first of all, congratulations on all of your babies. And thank you for sharing. Um, Just along the way, I kind of just, you know, I wanted to like give a little bullet point of things to maybe remind people of. And, um, maybe, you know, I'm sure this, uh, this podcast will be one of those saved episodes for the future. Um, but some really cool things that you brought up is this sibling doula. I have been a doula for people and they've had sibling doulas and it is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It brings so much comfort because when you have to feel like you have to be mom, it's really hard to be in labor world. Right. And so, and to be be doing that. So I love that you had a sibling doula. I love that we talked about breaking water. It's something that I am passionate about. And I think it's because my first two, although they didn't break my water, it broke spontaneously, but I had poor position baby and lack of knowledge of getting baby in a better position. Um, but I love that we talked about that. So if you're, you're not checking the box of, Hey, my contraction pattern's good. I'm close. Like I have good head compression. My baby's in a good spot it may not be the most ideal position or thing to do, you know, break your water. And then sometimes you do, you break your water and it's like game changer. And that is the best choice for you. So I love that you talked about that. I love to talk um, how you talked about not preparing and then preparing. And I love so much that in um, the end of your pregnancy, your second, that you kind of 
went into this space of like, it's called the bubble, right? We go to our, into our bubble and we like get rid of all of the negativity, all of the hate, all of the news and the stuff that's going to stress us out and all of that. And like, I had to personally do that, unfortunately with my mom. And that was really, really difficult. And it's really hard to do something with, you know, to do that to someone that you love. But unfortunately she is bringing negativity into my space. And so remember to protect your space and those people love you and they're going to hate you. (laughs) They're not going to never talk to you again, but it's okay to like turn social media off, turn text messages off and go into that space. Because if you can enter that space in that like really amazing, powerful zone, it can make all the world a difference. So anyway, and then you educate it and you listen to the podcast and so many amazing things. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. And I can't wait to, or I'm so happy that this one is kicking off the holiday season for us. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me and thank you for doing this and, you know, starting the VBAC link. It's just such an incredible resource. And I wouldn't definitely not have had the birth I've had if it wasn't for you guys. Oh, well, thank you so much. Interested in sharing your VBAC story on the podcast? Submit your story at thevbacklink.com slash share. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.